Well, I don't know if you've ever been in that position Christmas morning and especially everybody's favorite day is December 26th, the day after Christmas. Christmas decorations have to go up. Lights have to be shoved back in boxes. You have to recover from uh, the fudge candy hangover that's your own. Your blood sugar's through the roof and you barely made it here this morning. We all understand. <laughs> the, the day after Christmas or perhaps maybe a time where you received a present that was disappointing to you. I, I'll never forget one Christmas that I wanted a 10-speed Huffy mountain bicycle. That was it. That's what I wanted. And, and toward the end of all the presents that I had opened, I didn't even pay attention to any of the other ones. I opened up this small, small uh, styrofoam box, and there was this little black motorcycle in it. And I thought, this is it? Like, this is where it ends? And I was so disappointed. I mean, just struck. And what happened was, is underneath of that, black little motorcycle was a note that said go outside on the front porch the bike was actually pointing to what was the greater representation of that which was a huffy 10 speed mountain bike out on the front porch and i ran out and i was excited and hugged everybody people that i didn't even know i was still hugging them you know how that is how families get together and you're just hugging everybody and you get real close during the holidays closer than you want to sometimes anyways when we look at the book of Isaiah and we see where God's people are at during this time, they are divided. They're placing their hopes in a lot of things that are going to leave them disappointed. And it's because they're placing their expectations in things, in places, in people that God does not promise, salvation, or joy, or hope in. And this section from Isaiah chapter 40 all the way to the end is this unpacking of this servant that is going to come and he is going to make all things new, all things right. And Isaiah begins with, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Now this word behold, it means to look at something, to call attention to something new, to direct our attention and to keep in mind the Messiah that is to come, the one who will comfort the people. As we've already heard from Eric and Clay and Pastor Jeremy, this one that would be called Emmanuel, God with us, that he would be a child born, he would be a son given to us. He would be a righteous branch that would come forth. Israel, the chosen one, the redeemer, the holy one of Israel. And what Isaiah wants us to know is that he will act wisely. And what that means is, is that he will have perfect wisdom. He will prosper. He will be successful. And everything that he does will be flawless and his execution will be perfect. He will triumph. He will be, as it says in the text, he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. What is he doing? He's getting our eyes up high. 
on who this servant is going to be. He wants us to focus on His majesty, His glory, His, His honor, all of these things that He is going to be. But, there's more to it. Yes, there is going to be God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every single name. Yes. Feel that. That there's no greater name in the universe than Jesus. No other one. There's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that this servant is Lord. Think about that. You're on the mountaintop. Now, where do you expect that to go? Well, look in verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. As Israel, as us this morning, do you expect the the hero, do you expect the story to take that turn? That as they look upon this servant, they're astonished at him. They are appalled and almost repulsed at what they see. The servant's appearance is so disfigured and so damaged that it's beyond the ability to recognize. Is this even a man that we're looking at? And his body so disformed. Is this even human? Are we even looking at a body? And we we think about in the Gospels, we hear of how Jesus is scourged and beaten and there's thorns placed upon His head. There's these whips with pieces of bone and metal and they're ripping the flesh off of Jesus' body so much so that He's disfigured. That you can't even recognize who He is. So, Isaiah takes us on a place of going from looking at the right hand of God where the servant sits to almost to a point where you want to turn and look the opposite direction of this suffering servant. And when they come to get Jesus, This is in the Gospels. He says, But this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. This is according to prophecy. Jesus embraces this at the time of His crucifixion and says, This is part of the plan. Can we read that? And embrace that? And think about what we are hearing From Isaiah, it's part of the plan. It's going to be good. They said that Jesus deserves death. That they're going to spit in His face. And they're going to strike Him. And they're going to slap Him. But why? What's going on here? Why is this happening? Look at verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. 
sprinkling of the nations. The word sprinkle means to purify, to cleanse, to make atonement for many nations. So much so that many nations will adore Him. They will worship Him. They will treasure Him. It's not that the suffering and humiliation of the servant is a byproduct of the victory and the triumph. It's the process. It's the path. Jesus' exaltation will come through His suffering. Because the servant's success and victory, His prosperity and His exaltation, it will come through His suffering. He's going to sprinkle and He's going to spread across many nations cleansing and sanctification. This should take our minds back to the Old Testament in Exodus and Leviticus where Moses is building an altar and he told the people the Word of God and he took blood from the animal sacrifices and he threw it on the people. He sprinkled it across and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made. See, the blood represented the sealing of a covenant of promise to God's people. And we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. If there is no suffering by the servant to sprinkle the nations with blood, we have no hope for forgiveness in the gospel. It must happen this way. And when we think about the Levitical sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins over and over and over again every time an animal is sacrificed. But there is also the impossibility of the blood of goats and sheep to take away sin. So what does Jesus do? The servant comes and he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O Lord, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The servant steps forth and says, I will do your will. I will do what it takes. I will shed my blood to seal the covenant of promise between my people and you. So why? Why the disfigurement? Why the damage? Why the marred body? So by that, we will be sanctified and purified and cleansed. Through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all, as Hebrew says, He offered His body up unto death. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people, and every nation, as it says in Revelation. And this is why, this is why as we continue to read in the text, that the kings shut their mouths. It means that they are to be put to silence. To be in a place where they have nothing to say. When we step back and look at this full-orbed picture 
of the suffering servant lifted high in his honor and yet in the depths of his humility and suffering to lower himself to become a man, the creator to be made a creature, to die for us, this picture is altogether lovely and wonderful and majestic. And it should bring a sense of awestruckness upon us when we think about this story. And when you do think about it, when you think about this story, when you think about the humiliation and condescension, the suffering and exaltation of Jesus, how does that make you feel? It's not an easy message to believe, is it? And that's what Isaiah gets at in the beginning of chapter 53. He says, who has believed what they have heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. When we take a look at the word believe, it's talking about truth and fact of this message. And then when you think and look at the phrase arm of the Lord, it means that the arm of the Lord would arrive personally he would physically come and do what only the lord could do and when jesus shows up it's like a root out of dry ground he comes from a family it says is not this the carpenter's son is not this jesus of nazareth there's nothing about him that appeals to the people, to us. So much so that not only is he despised and repulsed, but that he's rejected by men. Not only is this someone that we in and of our own selves don't want to look at, it's also someone in and of our own selves that we don't want to follow. Sin so taints the way that we see the truth of the gospel message, that we repulse, we, we reject, we, we kick against it. And the way that Jesus deals with our sorrows and the way that He is acquainted with grief is not that He was a person that walked around and hung His head, but he was acquainted with. He knew our sorrows. He knew what it was like to feel grief. He knew what it was like to be one that was in isolation. He knew what it was like to be someone left alone. And it takes the grace of God loving us, coming after us, showing us that although it's counterintuitive, to what we would feel, this is the gospel message. This is the message that we should believe. 
And does the cross of Christ, when you think about his death, when you think about how he was mistreated, does it press you? Does it comfort you? When you think about the truth that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, that the Son of God, the most powerful individual on the planet, laid aside these things so that he could come and serve us. How does that cause us to look at how we serve others? How we serve unbelievers when they don't accept us, when they shun us, when they don't want to hear the message. How we accept our children when they say no over and over and over again. How do we serve them when we think about how our Lord and Savior put this form on? How how do we respond as we think about He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form? He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Jesus took all this up upon Himself. How do we respond to that? How do we think about that? How does that press us? How does that comfort us? Going back to what it says about the kings, here it is said that they were amazed, astonished. They were silent at this message, at his humiliation and suffering. Kings would be so deeply impressed with his majesty and glory that they would remain in perfect silence. The silence of profound veneration. We should be amazed at His suffering just as much as we are overwhelmed with His glorification. When we think about what Jesus has done for us through and in His humiliation and His sufferings. And when we think about our desires and our hopes and our expectations in light of the Gospel, They redeem our desires, our hopes. What happened to Israel? Israel based their expectations and their hopes on things that God had not promised them. They put their hope in things that were empty, futile, could not deliver them from their sin. Powers that could not help them. They did not rely upon the Word of God. The prophets of God. The people of God. And I just want to ask you this morning. Are you trusting right now? Right now. Are you trusting in something that doesn't promise salvation? Are you trusting in something that promises no hope? Or joy? When we think about isolation, or if we think about relationships, or we think about power, or money, or things, a job, whatever the case may be, are you placing your hope and joy and salvation in something that at the end of the day, God does not promise in His Word to deliver you?
And if so, we need to repent of those things and turn and embrace Christ and trust in Him this morning. Look at verses 4 through 6. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. When we think about this, in the Old Testament, the way that it's laid out, everything is placed on the sacrifice. And the sacrifice that God lifted here, it's the price. It's God being put in a position to bear, shoulder, and carry our And the only thing that we contribute to this is our sin. If you look at the text, it says our griefs, our sorrows, affliction that was brought on by us. We were, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was our chastisement. We are like sheep that have gone astray. The, the straying. And then our iniquity. All of these things are what we contribute to the pain. But there's still good news. The good news is, is that Jesus is the only one who could atone for these. He's the only person that could pay for our sin. He's the only one in whom righteousness and strength dwells. He's the only one that can fix it. The burdens that we carry this morning, the grief, the sorrows, your pain, your loneliness, whatever the case may be, Jesus Christ can fix it. He can bear it. He can shoulder it. He can give you the peace that you need. He can give you healing by His substitution. Here in this, this passage from 4 to 6, He's assuming the role as the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. He stands in our place to bring the peace, to bring reconciliation. And this morning, idols can't carry those sorrows. Idols can't carry that pain. We can't carry that pain or sorrow. Only Jesus can. And then finally in verse 7, we see how Jesus takes that sin and that pain. He doesn't back up from it, although He could, but He embraces it. In verse 7, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is a picture of knowingly he still goes. 
It's, it's not that he's naive to what happens if he commits to this. He knows that if he steps foot on this earth, what he is coming to do, he is coming to die for us. And when he puts his hand to the plow, he doesn't stop. He doesn't back up. He doesn't have second thoughts. He knows our sin well. He knows your sin well. He knows my sin well. And knowing that when he goes to the cross, he is going to be crushed under the wrath of God. He is going to bear the rejection that we deserve. In verse 7, this is a picture of strength under control heading to the cross to die for you and I. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't turn from the mission. He continued all the way through. And since Jesus has embraced your sin, you can too. You can admit it all to Him. He knows He's strong enough to bear it, to shoulder it. And you can bring it all before Him this morning. And you can repent of your sins and we can all come before the Lord knowing that He was the suffering servant Lifted up to die for us. That He is the light of the nations. That He is the righteous branch. That He is God with us. And we're thankful that He went through the suffering to bring us salvation this morning.